0: This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Tori Walker.
1: I met with my next guest in a busy cafe in Sydney. Yes, it was a busy and noisy cafe in Sydney. So, if background noise is not what you're after today, please head to our back catalogue and have a listen to an old episode instead. But if you can overcome the noise, I think you'll appreciate the effort of listening to this one. Karen Fowler is my guest, and she's a woman who's gone through what no woman ever wants to the death of her darling baby boy. I'm so glad that I was able to meet with her and talk with her about her life and faith, and how her faith has impacted the way she and her husband have been able to process this terrible event together. Along the way, they've decided to set up a charity in honour of their little boy, and you'll get to hear about that as well. Karen will help you fall in love with her gorgeous kids as she talks about them. And she'll also give you an insight into both the grief she and her husband experienced, as well as the robust faith in God's goodness that has continued to grow in them. So great to meet you and thank you thank for you. Um, finding this gorgeous little quiet place. So just for people listening, we are sitting in, <laughs> can you describe um, this? <laughs> what looks like a chain carriage cafe from the 80s. That's exactly right. With a little metal teapot. It's like the old milk bar and we're yes, in a booth. we're in a booth, and and a booth. It's perfect. But anyway, this is lovely and <clears throat> it's great to meet you. And I want to start by asking you the question that I ask everybody, which is, how did you come to faith in Christ? I was brought up. I was raised in a Christian family,
2: and I'm one of those people that, you know, God was in the background, I always went to church, I had a, a strong faith, but there probably wasn't a lot of youth, a lot for youth to do and everything, and probably, even though I continued to go to church, didn't really develop my own relationship with God until probably late teens, and then went to and fro from that with life experience, and depending what happened, um but God, I've had definite moments where God's touched me and spoken to me and revealed things to me but I wouldn't say that I suddenly became a Christian in a a moment, it was just a gradual build, and my faith's been something that's been refined and developed through life, I feel like I've been I've grown into the Christian that I am today. I don't feel like I just suddenly woke up and was that. So, yeah, it's probably not the traditional born-again sort of story, but I've definitely had moments where, you know, I prayed and then been absolutely saturated in the Holy Spirit and gone, yeah, this is it right now. This is where there's nothing but me and God.
1: It's not traditional, but it's also not that unusual. Like, you do hear people say... I know I am now. couldn't tell you when I was. I know I'm trusting in Jesus now. So when you left school, what was kind of your view of where your life might head? I was very
2: keen to finish studying. <laughs> what were you studying? So we did high school. I managed to get enough grades to get into psychology. So I did a Bachelor of Psychology, but I took a year off before that and just wanted a break. Did a gap year, travelled just up the Australian coast, Queensland and back down again. Uh, then went to the Catholic University in Melbourne and studied the straight Bachelor of Psychology. I got through the first three years and then I did a postgraduate diploma, so that's four years. And then after that, you have the option to start coursework and get out there and meet people um, and do the rest of your degree over two or three years while you work or you can do a Master's. So the getting out there and meeting people was much more appealing for me. And I had an opportunity coming back to my hometown in Mildura to be able to do that with a local psychologist. So I sort of... Uh, spent a bit of time floundering around, then went back into the school system, working okay. in education. Oh, okay. a psychologist.
1: Okay, so like yeah, a, still a,
2: training. A psychologist employed by the school to
1: employed by the
2: um, Victorian government, mm-hmm. so the Department of Education. Yep. Yeah, delivering a service to lots of schools in a regional area. So very thinly spread. It was a tough gig straight out, mm. uh, trying to do behavioural analysis, parent, parent support, proactive work, as well as crisis management mm-hmm. and intellectual disability testing and autism spectrum testing and there's a lot to learn quite quickly in that area and and you didn't have kids and so I didn't have kids I had a partner at the time that I had met during my first three years at university and we actually married during that time um and yeah that marriage had fallen apart so God was part of the picture but I probably had the feeling that this wasn't at times quite the right person for me. We've been together five or six years, and we got married after I'd finished my degree and I was out working in the kids' sort of system, and he was a special forces commander. And had been relocated to Sydney, so we're trying to do long distance. But we did the he's at Holsworthy, did the wedding and everything anyway. But um, yeah, he was actually seeing somebody else, and the marriage fell apart within months. Of, so I kind of survived the marriage breakdown and starting to work and lots of things all at the same time, um, mainly by going to church every Sunday and being on my knees and going, yeah, I stuffed that up, God. <laughs> um, don't let me go through this. And yeah, I feel like you were sort of the only Christian divorcee at your age. At my at age, in a small country town, and I was yeah. still getting wedding presents when oh. we were working out the divorce stuff, and it was, yeah, it was quite humbling and humiliating. <laughs> and, um,. Yeah, quite shattering to everything. You know, every, the way that you saw your future suddenly wasn't into be, in play anymore and mm. and it was definitely a clean slate in life and not voluntarily, more like it was just wiped <laughs> yeah. um, and had to start again. And so I, I stayed with my mum and dad who were continuously, extremely supportive and still are. I stayed with them for a while and got back on my feet and through working in the Department of Education realised that it was probably not my real particular area of interest and I did a bit of work at the local hospital in adult acute mental health so psychosis and suicide intervention and yeah acute acute work with the hospital where you actually go out and assess people in the community that appear to be mentally unwell or you go out with the police or they bring them into the emergency department and you assess them yeah so I got a little taste of that did some volunteer work there just ticking off the things I had to for my degree and went oh hello I like this and met a, a good bunch of colleagues there and they said to me there's a position coming up we'd like you to apply and went in and started working there so I kind of threw myself back into the career side of things moved out of mum and dad's home again <laughs> like 29 um,
1: yeah and, and got my own place and just started again yeah just went. when you mentioned your parents I was just thinking like they probably their support for you was very gracious because they probably didn't think that guy was a good choice for you no, today.
2: no they're, they're the right parent you know oh, they okay. suffered through embracing him Mm. and... supporting me Mm. uh, regardless Mm. yeah yeah Mm. Um, with their own faith on board and their own Mm. questions and um, just didn't stop loving me no matter what Mm. and I think that's just what kids need yeah yeah Yeah. that's the they didn't judge me or say if you there were no ultimatums or anything Mm. like that and Mm. our relationship was sustained probably because of that approach Mm. yeah yeah that's pretty important Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. so I started life then I was in Mildura and... Pretty set that I'd just be single forever, but was enjoying my job and had a new bunch of friends. And as always, when you start to be okay on your own, <laughs> that's when you meet somebody. <laughs> so, uh, my current husband, Ryan, just fell out of the sky in a pink shirt and silver pants from Sydney, <laughs> uh, teaching in a small school of about 80 kids that had never even had a sports carnival. Wow. And yeah, and that was when I met Ryan, and Ryan went. I'll do one year here and then we met and then uh, he went I'll do another year here and I think the principal at the school went great we're gonna keep him because she's local (laughs) but we uh, we got married and Ryan fully was embraced by the church and it was so it was so different having a Christian partner Mm -hmm. like having a husband that was on the same page and was proud of my faith that I could say, like we need to pray about this. He said, you're absolutely right. You know, or he would lead that I need to ask God about this. I'm not sure about this. It's just you're so much more powerful as a couple and as individuals when you're both at the mercy of God.
1: Mm. Yeah. When, so. that's, when that's God's picture, isn't it? That's what he yes. wants for mm. us, but we're just sometimes really slow to mm. come around to Yeah, we learn that hard, hard way. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, yours was a really hard way. That's a really yeah. hard route, isn't it, to have to go yeah. through that? And... I did learn, though but
2: I'm forever appreciative for what I have mm. and sometimes I think if you don't learn that way you don't fully appreciate what you've got and mm. I'm like daily appreciative of how easy our relationship feels compared to being in the wrong relationship yeah. so... Yep. Um, and, you know, as a testament to us, what our marriage has survived, a lot of people would find challenging, but I think because we are right for each other and because God is in the middle of us, it works, and we've continued to support each other and turn to Him when it gets really tough. Mm.
1: Yes, so let's yeah. talk about that, because I don't think, I was trying to think, like, how do you even ask about that? It's such, mm. a, such a major thing, but do you want to start by telling me about your little boy? Yeah, Just okay. Tell me about him.
2: Uh, can I start by telling you about Remy? Yes. Because I feel like she's just first, because I had yes. her first, and she's very hard to ignore once you meet her. A very loud five-and-a-half-year-old girl, <laughs> eldest girl, you know, uh, A-type personality, and when Ryan and I got married, we were like, let's try and have kids. We were 30-something by then, and we were like, okay, and we got pregnant with Remy very quickly, and... And she was just seemed very of her own mind and strong and independent. And I was like, if we only have one, let's make it a good, like a decent, <laughs> full on one, you know? And she was oh, that. that's funny. I know, <laughs> maybe we only have one. And then for a long time we thought okay one's enough (laughs) because we had Remy. we did eventually say it would be nice for her to have a sibling and that might help her out (laughs) and we loved that and yeah we got pregnant and it was a little boy we went oh (laughs) very desire relief and felt very blessed that we would have you know such a nice little nuclear bunch with mum, dad, boy, girl you know Um, and it was a annoying little brother yeah exactly (laughs) all those things two and a half years apart or Mm. three years apart uh oh yeah his pregnancy i was it was a bit of a rough one i got salmonella poisoning i broke my arm i got it was it was tough but he got to about 36 weeks in my tummy and started losing a bit of fluid and but i had a great obstetrics team and they said we'll just c-section deliver him early he seems really strong and healthy and he was and he was fine uh but about Uh, three days of age he developed some little lumps on his legs and we had some ultrasounds done it was only on one leg and they said it's just bruising intramuscular bruising from something to do with a cesarean or something like that but it's nothing to worry about he'll be fine and then he was fine. Uh, it did turn into a bit of a, a birthmark um, and a large kind of pinky mark, but he was fine. And we had Dr. Johnny Tates, who's one of the best paediatricians, and I still say that, in Sydney. Um, very expensive, <laughs> but wonderful man, uh, looking after him and making sure there's nothing else wrong with him. And he continued to grow. And he was everything, he was all heart. Yeah, he was blonde hair, blue eyes, looked very similar to my husband and very different to his sister. <laughs> Much more relaxed, cuddly you know, cuddly kind of baby. You could pick him up and he would stop crying, not cry more and get agitated.
1: Get <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Um, so he was a big breath of fresh air for us all and we felt incredibly blessed um, having him around. But yeah, he did have this birthmark on his leg and his, one of, that leg was a little bit shorter and there were a few kind of issues, but because he continued to grow in other ways with a normal presentation, there were no real alarm bells about that, um, yeah, until he got to about 16 months of age, um, and his Remy got gastro at preschool, like a lot of kids do, and Rio got gastro as well, as it happens. But he just never got better, so he, he got three different kind of bouts of it, one after the days after days after days, after, and I took him back three times to the emergency department. Uh, and the third time I just said, can you put him on a drip? Like, he, he will not bounce back. He's sick. Something's wrong. Uh, and they eventually put him on a drip. But the drip was just going straight through his renal system. I said, he's, the fluid's going through, but he's not picking up. He's yellow. And they went, OK, we'll admit him. Um, but by the time they did a blood pressure, it was 210 over 150, I think, like in almost heart failure. So we'd sort of, at that point, gone straight to ICU. And then all of a sudden, I was like, rang my mum and dad said, quick, calm. Rio's really sick. We've got to be in hospital, you need to be at home with Remy. Um, and yeah, the roller coaster kind of started. So, yeah, so Rio is just a gift. He's the best thing that ever happened to us, and I still testify to that. So, wow.
1: Yeah. So, how did you cope with firstly just the shock? Of yeah, the that was a that huge your shock because we. Boy was in yeah. you. we went
2: in with gastro, and then yeah. the next, and that night we were in IC with heart failure. Um, And the doctor's pretty much saying, look, we don't know if his heart will hold up. We're giving him medication to lower his blood pressure, but it's not coming down. We're not sure whether it's gonna have any effect. And if it does, he may have brain damage and it may drop very suddenly. And we just don't know what's gonna happen. So we have to monitor him overnight, so he might not make it through the night. So we stayed in the hospice. You can't stay with the child in ICU. You have to go away over time, like at night. You can't be in there but he made it through the night. They gradually did drop his blood pressure and it came down but his leg that had the birthmark went black. The whole leg went black and the doctors were like, we don't understand what's happened. He's lost blood flow to the leg for some reason and they did some scans and said there's a a mass in his abdominal cavity and we think he probably has a tumour or something that's blocking the blood flow and that's why he had those funny kind of colourings on his birthmark on his legs. So we'll operate in, do an investigative operation, an emergency one, bring in a bunch of teams and see if we can remove this mass and work on getting some blood flow back to the leg to save it, otherwise his leg will have to be amputated. So they went in, um, they did a five-and-a-half-hour surgery, and then I remember them just saying, "Yeah, it's time to come in and we'll tell you what's happened, and being in a white room in a hospital <laughs> with about eight different departments kind of going, what's happened? Like, why have I got so many people here? Um, And they basically said, we opened your little boy up and we've never seen anything like it. We don't know what it is. It's not a tumour. Something's happened to the inner layer of the arteries, primarily in his abdominal area and down the right leg and probably in some other areas of his body where the artery has overgrown and stopped blood flow. Uh, So he's got these mutated arteries in some areas. His leg's not probably going to get blood flow back. It's probably going to be septic. We'll probably need to amputate. We don't know how long he'll live. We don't know if he'll keep growing for years or whether this is spread throughout his body. So it just sort of was the beginning of the end. I know, it was a lot to take in in the moment. And they did end up having to amputate and he didn't heal well from the full amputations, so he got gangrene and became septic, and they had to do a full hind corner amputation, so they brought a top surgeon over from the RPA, who was uh, very quick to tell us that he would be disabled, disfigured, and limited. And those three words were written on all his charts. (laughs) And I just was like, he's not disabled. Uh, He's definitely not disfigured because he's beautiful looking and he looks normal apart from he's now missing a leg. Uh, And he's definitely not limited in what his life can offer because of his story. Uh, so that never sat well with me as, you know, the feisty mum. They're really negative. Um, they are very negative. They're very uh, clinical. Yes. They're clinical words. So there were a lot of signing of consent forms of he might not make it through surgery blah, oh. blah, blah. But he did make it through surgery, but gradually they, they did 42 nights in hospital. And one of the hardest things about that period was that Remy was having to live at home with her grandparents. Mm-hmm. And... Going back as a porter from the hospital on the bus, and a mummy and daddy coming home tonight. Is Rio going to be here tomorrow? And not being able to answer that, and she developed quite a lot of separation anxiety, and it was awful having to say goodbye to her, crying, and then come back to him, and the next lot of questions about what else has gone wrong with his body, what's not working now, and eventually they. They still didn't have a diagnosis for him. They had no timeframes on how long he would live. They had no idea about what was going to go wrong next. Genetics were continually looking at his case and saying, we don't know what this is. We don't, it's it's not from you. They tested us and said it's not genetic within you. It's not genetic within your husband. It's just something that's evolved within Rio. Somewhere the cells have divided and gone wrong. And we found a similar case in Thailand and that's it. There's no one else in the world, so we're not even one in a million. We're just the one only ever in history. So,
1: wow. So, there was a lot of chatting to God about that. Well, that's <laughs> what I was going to ask. I mean, were you so, able to pray, or was it just yeah, almost too shocking and you had to be
2: carried? We, the first night that Rio was in ICU, and they said he probably won't make the night because of his heart, we spent most of the night. Um, just on the floor in that room going this can't be it like we just want to hold him again Um, because it was, you know, earlier in the day we just had gastro, so it was a bit much to take in Um, and God let me do that and he made it through the night, we got the phone call I got down there, he had tubes everywhere and they said do you want to try and pick him up? And I was like, how? And I said, okay. (laughs) And I sat down and they kind of managed to manoeuvre and just put him on me and that lowered his blood pressure (laughs) the medication didn't, but being on mum did Um, so from then on we made every effort to always pick him up as much as possible which was difficult with the amount of tubes and things um, and because he had a vascular disorder getting lines in was really difficult
1: well, a lot of the had time a big wound as well wasn't And we really had an open well. womb that got
2: infected oh. and then had to be further amputated um, so we had to say goodbye to him a lot of times and there was a particular time that we had the most high-risk operation most children under two don't survive the hindquarter amputation uh, so we signed all that paperwork and then had to say goodbye to him. He was sort of in his little metal cot all ready to go for his big surgery and I said I don't write I said to Ryan I don't want the last time to for me to see him to be when he's crying out "Mummy, Mummy," and they're wheeling him away I just said I can't have that be the last time because that's what had happened every time I'd walked away he's like where and he start crying and mama and I'd have to go it'd be yeah. awful and I said I don't want to be the last time it can't be like that it can't be and so we were praying and we we're playing videos of him and his sister playing and all that sort of thing And then we just prayed that angels would be with him. And when the theatre people in the gowns came to wheel him away in his little cot, he looked up. And I said, bye, Baba, bye, bye, Baba, bye, Baba. And he didn't even look down. And he just looked up. And he was continuing to look up until he was gone. And he put his little hand up. And I do not know what he could see. But it was absolutely surreal. Because it had never happened that way before. He'd always been looking at us and reaching out and crying and wanting to be with us. So... It was very strange. He didn't cry. He was absolutely just distracted and calm. You were crying. And, I'm sure. Yeah, I was just watching. I was kind of watching in disbelief because I was just waiting yes. for him to look and cry. He just yeah. didn't look. He just looked up. Yeah. And he was absolutely calm and just put his little arm up to something. Um, and I was like okay so if that's the last time then that's okay because he's not upset um, but he survived that surgery as he, you know, as he did um, and he came out early from his sedation which is always horrific because he kept doing that um, but eventually anyway things kept going wrong and they said to us look with this situation he, uh, his palliative he's not you might be able to take him home, We might get some recovery, but lots of things just kind of, he would seem to recover and then his bow would back up and then he'd be agitated and then he'd start vomiting and I'd be like, he's dying. and yeah. So they said basically, uh, he's not going to survive and your options are, you can try and find somewhere with an oncology or an area in the hospital to see out his days or you can try and take him home, but... We don't know what that's going to look like and we don't know what's coming next with him with his illness and we don't know how much medical support we can get you in your area well there's this place called bear cottage that you can go check out and so we went and had a look at bear cottage and that's where we ended up going and that everything changed once we went to bear cottage we spent three or four weeks there together and there were no uniforms and there was someone else cooking for us all the time and we weren't trying to save his life, we were just making him comfortable and Remy sat next to him on the bed and watched telly and we were all under the one roof and we got our life back for a while. Yeah. You know, we got to sit outside on the rug and we did Christmas together and um, it was really lovely and I felt like he relaxed. Yeah. And he was like little, had his little trains going and, you know, he was just... His own little person again, rather than being in a big scary hospital. So,
1: which are much but, better memories as yes, well. to Yeah. Yeah. A
2: and when you can't do anything for your child yeah. medically, all you want to be able to do is make them not scared, help them feel comfortable and safe. And laugh when they can and mm. not be in pain, and that's what we were able to give him because of our experience at Bear Cottage. And we couldn't give him those things in hospital in that hospital mm. setting, it was mm. just ridiculous. We were getting food from cafes here, there, and everywhere, and just up till midnight and lining up at the public showers, and it was just uh, very challenging. So, yeah, yeah, but the amount of people praying through that mm. and the experience with God that we went through day after day after day with that was really a whole other thing. Obviously it's impacted your faith in God but um, in what kind of ways? I think I'm now much more in awe and wonder of the um, sovereignty of God and that from the very beginning when I hadn't even met Ryan God had given me a picture of a little gold person his body I couldn't see that was forever going to be my angel and there was once they said we don't think he's going to live I wasn't okay with that by any means but I was like sort of like God had prepared my heart that sort of this was going to be the path for him and we had dedicated him at nine months in the church back in Mildura that Ryan and I got married and they had said um thank you for the way was constructed and the way he was hardwired and for the God for the way you put him together and thank you for the life source that he's going to be and that he's going to bring refreshing and all these strange really prophetic things have been prayed over him and it was scary and it was so sad but it was all coming into line so it wasn't foreign and scary and terrifying or anything like that God had sort of wrapped it around this knowing around what was going to happen um and we spent so much time just playing mainly Bethel. Is it Bethel, is that how you say it? Bethel? Bethel? Music. Bethel, thank you. Yeah. Bethel music. You know, yeah. the they're Surrounded, Their Surrounded song. Um, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Mm. Those ones were Rio over and over in hospital. Um, and a lot of doctors, surgeons came to Rio's funeral which is unusual, and doctors as well, because of they said we're just amazed at it with you guys, the way you held it together, like the way you did the journey, you didn't get angry at us, you weren't angry. God just softened our hearts, and even though we were extremely vulnerable, we could see that there was forever going to be power in what was unfolding. And at the times when we said help him, help him, God did help him. But we had to be okay with Rio might be most powerful and he might be most effective for God when he's died. Like that was hard to kind of go. I prayed before Rio got sick. God, use our family. Really use our family. Yeah, whatever it takes, God. <laughs> whatever oh, it takes, God. Yeah, such seriously, a isn't it? Seriously, such a stupid notice. Oh, such a um. <laughs> It was an an a good thing prayer to pray. and God delivered yeah. it. And I said, I don't want there to be a gender. And, I, and coming to the point where you are actually okay with whatever God's plan looks like
1: yeah.
2: and going that has to be your number one thing is yeah. a real place of surrender, but it's such a place of strength mm-hmm. because we don't go around telling people, oh, we're Christians, we do this and that. People just look at us and say, how have you got through this? And we just tell there's no... Uh, Yeah, there's never any agenda about it anymore. It's just literally how we got through (laughs) and why we're still here and why we're still together and uh, why we now have a charity and why life is about helping other people. It's not just about us being family and doing this and doing that. Mm. Our life is much bigger Mm. and so much richer. Mm. So forever we'll see Rio as, you know, this absolute blessing and what God... Used to really shake up our family
1: and make us effective. I can, I mean, what what the doctor said. I can, I can see. And you like, obviously, the grief is there as much as anyone who loses a child. It's it's unfathomable to me, but yeah. I can see that. Obviously, the grief is horrific, and yet I can see just the way you talk about it that there's a, a calmness in knowing mm. that God's in control and yeah. He's the one who's gonna determine mm. what happens and that's hard yeah. it doesn't yeah. make and I, it less sad but it does
2: um, the doctors couldn't help us and the doctors when you know the specialist the top specialists look at you and say we don't know what's going to fall apart next you know we don't know what's going to happen with me next we don't know whether this is normal or not for his prognosis that's when you're like okay god god's my only thing in this, nothing else is sure, nothing else is certain, but him and uh, him being in this moment with us and him, the medicine's not working, Rio's not responding, but I'm like, God can bring him peace, God can bring us peace. Even if the scenario is that he doesn't make it through the night, God can just be, um, and just surrendering everything in the moment to God is what we became dependent on doing. Um, and then we got a taste for what does life look like when you have to do that on a daily basis? Oh. You know, when oh. every day is going to be a struggle and you constantly have to refigure and... Um, we, start, we built the charity around Psalm 139, saying that God knows every little bit when we're all put together, and this wasn't a shock, and this is purpose. This has a purpose. This is not a wasted life by any means whatsoever. This life always was going to be much bigger than the conventional blonde-haired blue-eyed boy. You know, it was special. So um, tell me about the charity. Yeah. So my husband is a visionary <laughs> and said we should do a charity or something, you know, about a month after, not even a month after we died and I was like, oh, I guess so, that would be good how does that work? Um, And we looked up doing a foundation and we were just like, geez, Bear Cottage was amazing and we'd met a lot of other families who also were the only people with a diagnosis or the only people ever to have children dying this way and we realised that Bear Cottage even though it only holds 8 kids does respite as well as end of life care Um, and then we heard mums who had children who were about 17 or 18 that might only live to 19 or 20 wouldn't be able to come after they turn 19. And I said, where do you go? And she said, we don't know. We don't know what we're going to do. We don't know how we're going to get medical support. We don't know how we're ever going to take a break. We don't know where he can go, where he feels safe. He's going to have to go to an old folks home or back to the hospital, and that's it. And I was just like... Uh, okay that's not good enough but so we went back to Bear cottage saying we think there should be a youth hospice and we'd love to be able to support you guys to another bear cottage so that there's more availability and kids aren't going parents aren't going okay let's try and do these last days at home with nursing support because things can just go so wrong in the picture of dying you know Um, and it was really comforting for us to have two nurses there all the time going and a doctor on call and a pediatrician once a week Reviewing everything, reviewing the medication. We always had options, and we knew what was normal and not, and you know. Um. I just have the logistics that. looked after. Yes, of I cow. couldn't do the medication. Helpful. When yes. I left the hospital with Rio to go to Bear Cottage, I had two garbage bags of medication that had to be QID like four times a day. Some of them had to be diluted down and then injected. And some of them, you know, it was just, I could never, ever have coped doing that at yeah. home. And I would have been so worried I'd gotten something wrong. or.
1: Yeah. And we
2: got to Bear Cottage and they said, how much of the medication do and you want, want to do? And I said, is it possible to do none? And they said, of course, we'll do it. And I was like, oh, OK. So we just had to advocate for him. Um, And be with him. And that's it. And try and enjoy, you know, give him bubble baths and spend the time outside. And just before we talk about the charity, um, for people who don't know, where is Bear Cottage? It's in Manly, in between Manly Beach and Shelley Beach. uh, It's nestled up just amongst other normal houses. It's a very normal-looking holiday home, I guess. Mm. But it's called, you go inside and then you see there's teddy bears everywhere. It looks like a normal home, but each bedroom is a a hospital bedroom. You know, it has a hospital bed, but there's not all the uh, wires and cords and machines are hidden away. Mm. They're just behind cupboards and things like that. And there's big flat screen tallies. Thank you. There's a big uh, art and craft table that's kind of the hub where everyone can go and do art and craft. And there's a big bubble bathroom. There's a spa downstairs. There's gardens there's a big communal kitchen everyone eats together they ring a bell yep. and the food just comes you can say if you have dietary requirements you don't have to worry about grocery shopping it's free and someone comes and does your laundry every day and you have an ensuite and you can hang your clothes in a cupboard which is very different to the hospital yes um and yeah we had christmas there we probably went there i think the 21st of december we had Christmas there and they did massive Christmas lunch on the deck overlooking Manly and my parents were able to stay as well. So they have quarters downstairs that are literally like holiday homes where Remy and my mum and dad stayed, or Remy could stay upstairs with us with real if she wanted. Yeah. And then they also gave us free concert tickets to the Wiggles. They gave us free tickets to the Aquarium. They make sure you get out and about and they say, he is sleeping now, go for an hour. You know. Um, yeah. And the social workers come say, what's your daughter interested in? How can I engage her? And what's her favourite thing? What can we do? Um, and it's how sort of are you? for the siblings yes. that too, isn't it? Yeah, and the volunteers yeah. just pop around and they look at you and I thought, oh, what are they going to ask? And she just said, darling, how do you have your tea? And we, oh, hallelujah, I just <laughs> some milk. Okay, I'll be back. And just left me with a uh, beautiful cup of tea and my little boy and I was like, oh, yeah. it was really magical and um, I think that it, God allowed us to go there and to be part of that so that we were able to tell this story and get more help for other people and um,
1: love others, which yeah. I think is really the mission. You know? And so the charity, it's aiming yep. to set up a youth bear cottage but also bear cottages where there aren't bear yeah, cottages. Yeah,
2: so what we're looking for is... We assist terminally ill children and their families. That's basically the big motto. Uh, We initially were looking at, can we just get a youth hospice? But that was already in the pipeline. So we're able to jump on board advocating for that from a personal perspective. We found out that Mike Baird, the ex-New South Wales Premier had Got plans for that in place, and we were really just able to be a voice to say to the rest of the community, This needs to happen. Um, James Griffiths, who's now the member for Manly, had a wonderful entrepreneur come forward with five million dollars, and the government matched it. And so now we drove past the site of the old Manly Hospital, which is the land that the government has issued, and saw Australia's first young and adolescent hospice written on there. And we've been able to be part of just getting that across the line. is like a sea decide well we put forward Ryan put forward the idea that we should have one of these bear cottages in each state
0: because mm.
2: we found out people were flying from Perth people were flying from Northern Territory we knew Melbourne had one but it very special kids but it does need refurbishment and they don't have a youth one okay. um, and there's nothing in South Australia either so Mike Bed is the pediatric ambassador for palliative care mm-hmm. so he was able to use his connections to speak with other premiers um and say you know there's a couple out there that are happy to talk about their story and Mike has been extremely encouraging of us and said we've wanted to do something for a long time but me going and just presenting it and saying we need to do something wasn't really effective whereas whether we had a family talking about the difference between a hospice and hospital it makes a huge difference and it seems to be a better platform to get the message out there for the actual need so we've been able just to tell our story And be ourselves and that's been the effective thing so it's really it's really blessing it absolutely is it's such a privilege so we're aiming for a hospice in each state and so what's the charity called Rio's Legacy we train under the name Rio's Gift, and we're rioslegacy.org.au, without the apostrophe. Rio is R-E-O? R-I-O. 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 Yeah, like the cartoon. Oh. <laughs> like the yeah. river, like the Rio Grande. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's just Rio and yeah. Rio's Legacy. And, yeah, we've got a fair bit of media coverage so far. It's been, been really well supported. Yep. And Orion did a run last year, decided should do a big run or something to get the charity off the ground. So never been a real runner, but somehow managed to run from Melbourne to Sydney and raise about fifty or sixty thousand dollars. The charity itself's raised almost three hundred thousand dollars so far, but we're as much oh, as yeah, it's pretty absolutely crazy. Yeah it's, and my bed is a strong Christian and keeps saying to us this is working because it has anointing stay with God, stay close to God, keep it real and that's what we do and that's, it's God's thing not ours, we're just able to be a voice and
1: have the privilege of being the vessel to make something big happen for other people When I first heard about it actually I was reading the newspaper and I mean I read the whole article anyway just because it was well it was so beautifully written but it was also so so captivating and it wasn't until kind of, it was quite a big article, it wasn't until the really last, second last paragraph or something your husband said something about the difference that his Christian faith made and it just was so natural. It was just obviously was it Caroline Obrington? Yeah. Yeah, so obviously Such she was a sort of, fantastic, of asking, you know. Reporter. Yeah, I love I love the stuff that she writes. But obviously she just sort of was asking, you know, what, why, how, and it was just the honest answer. It was because, <laughs> yeah, you know, you believe in Jesus and you believe
2: that God's got all under control. And, and that each child is fearfully and wonderfully made. And we we always say God doesn't make mistakes because when you're in hospital and your child is sick, you hear about all the things that are wrong and abnormal. Um, and that can really sink in you to hold on to God not making mistakes and God having purpose, and that a life is a life, and we need to help everyone that has a life to have the opportunity to live it to the fullest and love be the focus and not all the negative stuff. So, yeah, it's all a hundred and some 139 beautifully and wonderfully made, um, and respect for life itself. Um, yeah, so it is definitely driven by that, but there have been definite since the run we're doing the ride this year um, on the 3rd of october we start in adelaide so we have stephen marshall premier marshall in adelaide coming to be part of the launch and Mike Baird will be there as well and we're riding down to melbourne and i think we have the victorian premier Daniel Andrews on board as well. Then hold on, hold on. From Adelaide to
1: Melbourne. Yeah, by Taylor Mills. Especially straight out of Adelaide. Oh this first gosh. day is like 180k. So are you support, you and Remy support. Yeah. Crew? We've been sponsored
2: by Toyota, yep. who've given us three cars, yep. and we're in convoy. Uh, we have about three or four riders the first couple of days. And Ryan and his brother Chad are riding most of the way. And another guy, Lee, who uh, was at Scott's in the boarding house with us, yep. has a young family of his own. He's a lovely guy. He's riding the whole way with Ryan as well. So, and Ryan and Lee. How many kilometres is it? The whole way? 2,000 things. So, we're aiming to raise that. We'd love to raise $100,000. Yep. So, I think we've raised about 15 so far because you can go online and pre fundraise. And you can fundraise through a cake stall or something like that you don't have to fundraise for the ride by riding so you can actually go online if you press I'd like to fundraise you can set up your own fundraising page and we have a tally and a leaderboard and uh,
1: oh, yeah, interesting, actually... yeah but a lot of people do runs and stuff and you get to pick your charity so you guys yes. are a charity yes, so you could registered actually charity. pick yeah.
2: Yeah, we did City to Surf um, and raised some money from that last year. But we became a charity. Ryan did a phenomenal job getting the paperwork together. We now have a board of directors. We have a lawyer. We have finance. um, We're totally tax deductible if you make a donation over $2. Um, We have DGR status. And we got to be a charity because we want to make buildings for public. Neverland Institutes so that's how we hold our charity status and so, so the hope is to where are you hoping Adelaide first or? so we're starting in Adelaide yep. um, They there is definitely talk over there There's Hannah's House is a service over in Perth that is a group of nurses that go into homes and do paediatric palliative care but they don't have a building they don't have a building that they run out of, so right. once they heard about us and Bear Cottage, they're like, yeah. "Why hasn't our government given us a building so that we can actually house some of these kids? Because yeah. it's so hard doing it at home." So Perth are really vocal and on board. We just couldn't get all the way to Perth with the riding, not this time. Maybe next time. We'll see what we do. Maybe motorbike. Maybe. Spinner. Yeah. It's gotta still be a challenge, though. I don't know. Think of something. But Swim. Um. Tasmania. Just kidding. Good. <laughs> Tasmania um, have come on board as well, so we'll. Hodgman's recently done a media release for us which we will put out on social media um, and are looking at whether they can facilitate a hospice. The guys from Perth have actually come over and looked at their cottage and there's something in the pipeline there. Victoria are looking at doing their first youth hospice so yep. they will follow hopefully follow suit with um, New South Wales in having a youth and adolescent hospice yeah. and then we'll finish up at their cottage in Manly. Um, yep. Yeah, so we are looking at how we best fund those things, whether we Mm -hmm. offer the charity can offer an amount and governments match it or something like that but we we need the states to really get behind us because we're just two people raising money i mean we're a massive community of people raising money but we can't these places cost millions to run continuously and to run them effectively they need to take care of the whole family unit and i think it's really preventative and proactive in the way they treat the grieving process they're very hands-on they follow up they take care of the funeral they helped us do a balloon release the day after he died and everyone that had met him wanted to release a balloon for him and they catch up with us all the time and they don't forget him and i think it's really we just they set us off in the right foot in living the rest of our life while honoring him and having the memory of him on board they're very respectful of our faith and encourage that so they have to get that right if we are mm. going to build more hospices. Mm. So look after each unique family. Mm. Whew, wow.
1: It's a lot. So is this your life? Like, is this what you and Ryan are doing? Or are you still trying to, I mean, obviously you're looking after Remy as looking part of your job. Looking Remy. Ryan still working? Ryan works all the time. Yeah, we live at the Scots College. Okay. We're in the boarding
2: house. Yep. We're um, assistant housemaster. Yep. We live with uh, about 50 teenage boys. I don't have to make his lunch. He doesn't have to take lunch. That's good. Yep. Um, but no, we have a normal apartment within yep. the building. But um, we live at work, so the commute's good for Ryan. But yes. it's pretty much on all the time. And the Scots community have been phenomenal. And they are strongly... They're a Presbyterian church-based school, so they really embraced the charity having the Christian undertone and that being the motivation for it. Um, and the, the school was phenomenal once Rio got was sick because they didn't know we didn't know he was terminal the boys just were like hey the little boy from the boarding house is sick you know what's going on yep and the parents and the kids were phenomenal and the boys have really got behind the charity the boys who've got parents who have had foundations or capacity to give have said Mum, Dad, we need to get behind this. Look what's happened. Um, The prefects from the school came and visited Bear Cottage with us. Um, Some of them independently wanted to volunteer after they'd been, which is quite phenomenal for 19, 18-year-old boys. Billy Smith from the Roosters, the new recruit, is our ambassador. Oh, fantastic. Because he's an old boy of Scots. He's absolutely gorgeous. Um, he's been to Bear Cottage a few times and, yeah, he's made a few, de- he's had two debut matches, I think, in the NRL and he's doing fabulously, but yeah, he's oh, yeah. our ambassador. And so the Scots have a huge part to play in yeah. getting the charity off the ground and um, helping us through that sort of initial wanting to do something and make a difference. Yeah. 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 So how
1: how, how, um, how long ago was it that Oh so Rio passed away like, on
2: the fifteenth of January two thousand and eighteen. Yeah. So that's a year and a half ago. So he'd be three, he would have turned three in July. Yeah. So it's not yeah. long really like, No, it feels like it feels like forever and then right. sometimes it feels like yesterday. Yep. So <laughs> yeah. at different moments. But yeah. no, I guess it's not it's not long. A lot has happened. Yeah. Um and yeah, the charity, when we said about, we were just like, you know, sometimes charities work out, sometimes they don't. We'll just keep praying, we'll keep our heart in the right place and we'll see what happens. And we're continuously blown away by things that people that approach us or someone that wants to do something, and we're speaking at um, a Gala ball tomorrow night. Says, yes, what, are what are you wearing? I know it's black tie. I was like, what am <laughs> I wearing? <laughs> Ryan hasn't got a tuxedo. You know, suddenly like, are you sure that's our invitation? <laughs> um, so we're feeling very lucky, and yeah. we get to talk about our boy and our yes. story. We don't have to, we don't have to pretend anything. Yeah. We just really loved and accepted. And I, I think the biggest thing we've learned is there is power in vulnerability. You don't have to pretend things are okay. If you be real and just be honest, other people will be able to relate to your story or you'll have something to offer that's helpful and useful. And if you pretend everything's fine, you've got nothing for them to relate to. So be honest where your vulnerabilities are. It's scary putting them out there, but they are your superpower. So, yeah, we roll that
1: way. That's Mm. so true. Mm. And can I just come back to Remy then? How, I mean... How overwhelmingly difficult for her to have to say goodbye to her little brother who she loves and see her parents. And
2: yeah, and look, it's
1: and...
2: working out how we were going to tell her, he died in the early hours of the morning, like 3, 4 a.m. And so we were like, what are we going to tell her? And it was... We're so thankful that we have a faith because I don't know what people without a faith tell their children. I think they make it make up. I think they do and I think it's, kids can tell when you're lying or when you don't know what you're talking about. So it was such a lovely moment to be able to have a really firm understanding of ourselves of where we believe where it was. Yeah. And we kind of made the little bed where he was up and we said, hey, it's gone to heaven, he doesn't want to be sick anymore, he's sick of being hurting um so we brought her in and said yeah ria's got to heaven now so we could all say goodbye to him and we had the heaven is for real book Yep. Pitchable. Yep. Um, and we read that together lots of times. And she very firmly believes that Rio lives in heaven and Rio lives in her heart. Yeah. To the point where she was funny about eating eggs because he's allergic to eggs. And she thought he might get something <laughs> in her heart. Um, but she was just four when he passed away. So she had her birthday at the hospital because we couldn't get a party organised. But they have a fairy garden and they opened it so we could have a cupcake fairy garden birthday for her with Rio in I See You on the Other Side. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. Um, But she talks about Rio all of the time. And she, you know, unfortunately she has a language around death and dying that a lot of four-year-olds, five-year-olds don't.
1: Mm.
2: But she also has a beautiful understanding of life being a lot bigger than what we see in front of us and of heaven and of people that you love existing beyond the physical world. Yeah. Um, And of Jesus. So... um, it's, yeah, it's one thing managing your own grief but then watching your child grieve is very
1: challenging yeah, watching, yeah so it's been tough, yeah. but and this will always be part of her story yeah, yeah, for they, sure As defining for her, you know, as it is
2: for yeah, you yeah, so we continually say to her, you know, it was such a big good big sister, we was so lucky to have you, and she's got pictures of him everywhere in her room and some of his little Clothes and a little dummy, and you know, she's. I, I, I think us talking about it, and she sees us someday looking at, looking at a picture and being upset, and mm-hmm. teaching her that being up, having a moment to be upset is okay because mm-hmm. it means we loved him so much. That's
0: mm-hmm.
2: all. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm hoping we're doing the right thing. <laughs>
1: you don't know with kids still I guess, ever. Because uh, people are like, you know, what, what are you meant to do? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> when, when she's a teenager, she'll yeah. tell you that you are doing the wrong thing. Okay, so at yeah, least you'll right. know this.
0: Thank you. <laughs>
1: There's something she tells not. me already
0: I'm
2: doing wrong, <laughs> but that hasn't come up. But I'm sure it will. Uh, so funny. She but, um, yeah, she's. Yeah, very still smitten with him, I think. Hmm. But I don't think she would ever want to have not had him in her life.
1: Yeah. Hmm. So. Hmm. so, Karen, I want to finish with the question that I sort of finished with with everybody. And we have sort of been talking about it along the way, but at the moment what keeps you going as a Christian? And it can be like some kind of deep truth or it can be, you know what, I'm just reading this book at the moment or I'm listening to these songs or like, what is it that's keeping you going as a Christian, keeping you firm in Christ and not straying from him? It's, yeah, there's hope. There's always hope.
2: And being sad brings you back to your knees and I think you know I'd hate to get to a point in life where again where I'm ever comfortable or take things for granted and I think when you continually face adversity in one way or another it keeps you you know I count that as a blessing because you don't you can't turn to anything but God to get through those things so I read The Streams in the Desert, the really old school 70s, I believe. The 70s uh, book, because it it doesn't give you a chance to stop and be miserable. It says you're useless when you're like, you know, like, it's it's quite firm, but it's all biblical truth. And it's sort of, uh, yeah, I just, I think because I've seen people do this grief thing in their own capacity and it's debilitating. And I was like, for Rio's story to be worthwhile and for his life to count and makes a difference, I can't be dictated by this. I can't be, I can't do this uh, curl up in a ball everyday kind of way. This has to be different for his journey and his struggle to be worthwhile and to be purposeful and to make a difference. So I've got to live this out. Um, so I do it for God and I do it for Him, for Rio as well, because I feel like He was the gift that God gave me, so it ties together that way in my head. Um, but every time there's a pain... Or you know, a heart gets pulled or something, I see a little boy down the street.
1: Yeah.
2: It's the God sees the ache, sort of. So yeah, it's a moment to moment thing. It's not even having to daily renew thing. It's a reliance on mm. God still to take the edge off mm. the pain and to keep the focus outwards, not inwards.
1: Thank you Karen. Know, it's a really long-winded answer. <laughs> no, thank so. you so much for uh it must be exhausting to keep opening up, but I so appreciate that you were able just to share with us Rio's That's story. It's a
2: privilege. It's yeah, he's our story and the way God's used him. I'm so proud of him and yeah, he's one of my favourite topics, so it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for your time
1: thank you
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Special thanks goes to our platform host, The Gospel Coalition Australia. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper. And voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary.